Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKenzieBrewing.com. I'm back, PGF Nation, with our final NFL draft episode for this season, and today I'm going to give out my draft grades for the NFC North and I have a special guest interview later in the show so let's kick things off. I want to start here with the Chicago Bears. In the first round with the 11th overall pick they traded up to get this pick and they selected Justin Fields the quarterback out of Ohio State. He's six foot three, 228 pounds, really good size and athleticism. He has all the physical tools that you're looking for to play at the next level. He was inconsistent at times in college. That's a red flag for me and he did play in a very quarterback friendly system that definitely won't translate to the NFL. He doesn't go through his progressions at a level that you'd like to see for an NFL quarterback. If his first read isn't open, he tends to tuck it and run. He doesn't throw with good anticipation. He tends to wait for his wide receivers to become open before he throws. That's not going to work in the NFL. So this is a guy who's definitely has some things he needs to work on if he's going to become an elite NFL quarterback. But I do like his mechanics. Unlike a lot of NFL quarterback prospects, there isn't much to clean up as far as his mechanics. He's got a nice release. He's got good footwork. I love Justin Fields' fire and toughness. This is a kid who took a big shot in the college football playoffs, broken ribs, came back into the game, stared down the barrel, fired in a touchdown pass shortly after that. Gritty, tough, competitive kid. Loved his attitude and his demeanor on the field. He's got above average arm strength. He's got nice zip on the ball. He can definitely fire it into those tight windows when he needs to. Nice touch, nice spiral when he throws. He's a confident kid. He's got a swagger, a leadership quality to his game that you have to love. It's not something you can measure but you can certainly see it when you watch him. And he plays well in big games. We've seen several times now throughout his career at Ohio State, he tends to elevate his play when it matters the most. So there's a lot of things to like about Justin Fields. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast. He was the number two quarterback on my big board. And when you look at this quarterback class, I'm not as high on these quarterbacks as a lot of people. I think outside of Trevor Lawrence, there's a lot of red flags with every one of these prospects. But I do like Justin Fields. I do think that he slid in this draft and there's reports that maybe there's some character concerns. I don't know about that. It's hard to say. I don't know the kid personally, obviously, but from a skill set, there's definitely something you can build on here with Justin Fields. I think he's going to be a really nice fit for Matt Nagy in that offense. And I think it was worth the risk for them to move up and take him. In the second round, the Chicago Bears took Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle out of Oklahoma State. He's six foot six, three hundred and seventeen pounds. Some analysts had him graded as a first round pick. So I think this is a really good value pick by the Chicago Bears here in the second round. And he's got prototypical NFL size for an offensive tackle. He's got that perfect offensive tackle frame that you're looking for. Plays with a nice wide base, good balance. He's got really good body control for a guy his size. Big, powerful player who can really overpower most defensive linemen when you watch his tape. But he's not just a power player. He's athletic. He's got smooth footwork. The knock on him is that he's got short arms for an offensive tackle. Some people even thought he might have to move to guard because of that. I don't think it'll be a major issue. I know scouts really value the arm length of offensive tackles. It's definitely an important trait, but I think he checks enough boxes in his game and with his size, I think he'll be fine at the next level. There's also been some character concerns that have been reported about him, so I'm not sure exactly what those are, but that is a little bit of a red flag too. But overall, this is a guy who's 
just a really solid all-around tackle. He's good in the run game. He's good as a pass blocker. Doesn't have a lot of holes in his game. So very solid pick. And like I said, a lot of people had a first-round grade on him. So love the value. I really like Tevin Jenkins as a player. And I think he fills a need for the Bears. So this was just a great pick by Chicago. Let's face it, when you look at this draft, the Bears pushed all their chips into the middle of the table by giving up a ton of draft capital to trade up for Justin Fields. Now, Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace are under some big-time pressure, and they had to be aggressive to get Justin Fields, who really slid in this draft. I don't think many people thought he'd be available there at 11. He's not a perfect prospect by any means. I talked about some of his flaws, but I could see him working in Matt Nagy's system, so I like this pick by the Bears. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. And that's just the way it is in the modern NFL. The the position is more important than ever. And so they had to do something to get a top-level quarterback. And they feel like they got their guy here in Justin Fields. I know Bears fans have got to be excited and hopeful for the future. And like I said, I think he's going to be a good fit here in Chicago. So I think this was a great pick by them. It was time to move off Mitch Trubisky, another guy they traded up to get. And they really whiffed on as we know he just didn't pan out but you don't stop taking swings you got to keep swinging the bat until you get a hit and I think this is going to be a guy who has a definite shot to develop into a really high level quarterback the big question will be do they have the offensive line and the pieces around him for him to be successful and will they give him enough time to learn the NFL because I think he's going to be the day one starter and he might I could see him taking some lumps here year one but if he can develop and show improvement throughout the year I think this is a guy who's got a lot of promise The rest of this draft, if you look at what they did here, getting tackles with the next two picks was really smart, especially taking Tevin Jenkins, who should be a day one starter. You just got your next quarterback, so now you got to protect him. So I like the strategy that they took in this draft. And as you guys know, PGF Nation, being here in Pac-12 country, I'm pretty familiar with six-round pick cornerback Thomas Graham out of Oregon. Very solid player. He could be a really good late-round pick, so that was another guy that I liked in this class. I think this was just a really good class by the Bears. And I'm going to give them a B plus grade. I think this would be an A if they didn't have to give up so much to move up and get fields. But I understand the aggressive move by the Bears to get him. It made a lot of sense, and I'm not going to knock them too much for that. I think it was the right move. But B plus, very good draft for the Chicago Bears. All right, moving on to the Detroit Lions. In the first round with the seventh overall pick, they took Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle out of Oregon. He's six foot five, 331 pounds. He was the first freshman to start a season opener in 20 years at Oregon, and he dominated from day one. He was the Outland Trophy winner, and this was the first time ever a sophomore has won that award. He was an instant impact guy in college, and he's got elite, and I mean elite foot quickness. For a guy his size, he's shockingly quick, agile, and athletic. All of his teammates and coaches say that he's a big-time locker room leader at Oregon, a vocal leader. He's explosive, I mean, explosive off-the-charts ability when getting off the snap. He blows defenders away in the run game. He can just maul guys. He gets to the second level. He can square up linebackers and just destroy them with his power and his quickness. An NFL scout said very few men who walk the earth have his size and athleticism. That's a big-time quote because this guy is that rare of a talent. I've been talking about him on and on on this show because he was the number two overall player on my big board. I've heard analysts say he might be the best tackle prospect in 10 years. I wouldn't be surprised if he is that good. He's just an awesome all-around talent. Pass and run block. Really doesn't have any weakness in his game as far as that goes. He does need to continue to improve his overall strength. This is a guy that's going to need to hit the weight room. He can he could afford to get a little bit stronger, but he should be able to do that with an NFL regiment for the Lions. And he's only 20 years old. 20 years old because and he opted out last season. This is a guy that doesn't have a ton of experience coming in. But at 20, it's scary 
to think how much potential this guy has and how good he could actually become at the next level. And the thing I love about him the most is that he plays with a nasty edge to his game. He almost has like a defensive player's mentality, just tough. He wants to destroy his man on every snap, and I love that about his tape. In the second round, the Detroit Lions took Levi Onzurike, the defensive tackle out of Washington. This guy was a first-team all-Pac-12 player. He showed out at the Senior Bowl, really elevated his stock. When you watch his tape, he's explosive out of his stance. Really good athlete. Very athletic, quick feet. He's got powerful hands. He played his best versus the best teams in the Pac-12. Against Oregon and USC, he really showed off his skills. You've got to love that about a guy who brought his best stuff for the best teams. Big time upper body strength. I mean, this guy is powerful. He can really push guys around and he can power through blockers and really collapse the pocket for opposing quarterbacks. He has a nice spin move and he's a good natural pass rusher for a defensive tackle. Now he needs to get his pad level down. He plays a little too high, a little too often when you watch his tape and he's an inconsistent player. Like I said, he showed up in the big games, but sometimes against lesser competition, he'd disappear. So he's a guy that I think if he can figure out a way to be more consistent and give that 100% effort on every down and every game, he could really become a special player. I mean, let's face it, the Lions roster had too many holes for them to fill in one draft, but I like what the new regime is doing, building in the trenches with Penesul and then two defensive tackles in their next two picks. New GM Brad Holmes and new coach Dan Campbell clearly have a vision for how they want to build this Lions team, and it starts up front. And for years, when you watch the Lions, they would have taken a flashy wide receiver at the seventh overall pick, but instead, they landed the best player outside of Trevor Lawrence at a key position of need. So I really like what they did here. When you look at Onzurike, he's a big-time athlete with a really high ceiling. Now, they could have addressed wide receiver earlier in this draft, but I love the value pick of Amon Ross St. Brown, the wide receiver from USC. He's a very, very complete wide receiver, not a lot of holes in his game. Most had a late second or third-round grade on him, so getting him in the fourth is a real steal. I really like what the Lions did and it's clear that they have a plan for the future. I'm going to give them a B plus. So that's going to move us on to the Minnesota Vikings. In the first round, they had the 23rd overall pick. They selected Christian Derrissaw, the offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech. He's six foot five, 322 pounds. He's a pure left tackle with all the physical tools to play at a high level day one. I would say he's got good, not great foot quickness, but adequate. He is a awesome pull blocker who really times up his blocks well and squares up the defender because he's got really nice body control. He can get to that second level. He can seal off linebackers in the run game. He does a really nice job with that. He's physically dominant at times in the run game. I mean, he mauls guys and just blows guys back. Smooth and agile for a big man. He's got really great footwork and pass protection. Really smooth pass sets for Derrissaw. He's got big, strong hands, long arms. He keeps defenders off his pads. This is a guy that is a really good player. I think he got slept on a little bit in this draft. I had him just inside my top 25. He gets drafted almost exactly where I had him ranked, but he's a just a really nice player, and as good as this offensive line class was, there wasn't that many guys that you can look at and say they're a pure left tackle. I think this guy is, and I think he'll be a starter day one, like I said, and be an instant upgrade for the Minnesota Vikings offensive line. The only knocks I have on his game is he completely disappears at times, and it it's almost like he takes plays off. It's kind of weird because as talented as he is, you would hope that he had better effort throughout the game, and he doesn't always finish blocks like he should. Once again, he'll have a guy squared up and it's almost like he just doesn't want to put out the effort to finish the block and, and really blow the guy away when he's clearly capable of doing that. 
For me, though, he's the third best tackle in this class. He's a big-time athlete who checks a lot of boxes for an NFL starting left tackle. So a really good value pick in the late first round for the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings didn't have a second-round pick, but in the third round, they took Kellen Mond, the quarterback out of Texas A&M. He's six foot three, two 211 pounds. He's a very solid quarterback when he's not asked to do too much in the offense. He was really at his best when he had a solid rushing game to set up the play-action pass. He does a nice job with that. He made big-time improvements in 2020 with a better touchdown-to-interception ratio. He throws a nice, tight spiral with a lot of zip. He's definitely an athletic kid. He's a dual threat player who's really good in the zone read game. He was a four-year starter at Texas A&M with a lot of big-time experience. you got to love that. I think that's a very underrated trait for quarterbacks. That big-time game experience is so vital when you come into the NFL. But he's got some serious holes in his game as well. There's a reason he went in the third round, and it's because he's not an anticipation thrower. He really waits for his wide receivers to break open. That's a big red flag for me. That just isn't going to work at the next level. And it's almost as if he's scared at times to take shots downfield. Even when the play is there to be made, you saw it over and over again where he would settle for a check down or he'd settle for an underneath route instead of taking the shot. But the biggest red flag of all is that he was just very inaccurate, especially outside of the underneath stuff. On the short and intermediate routes, he's pretty good, but anything beyond 10 yards 15 yards he really just doesn't have very good accuracy at all and that's really concerning for an NFL quarterback when you look at Mond he's a project quarterback at best he has a lot of natural ability a lot of physical tools but he never really looked like an NFL quarterback to me when I saw his tape at Texas A&M now he could be in a good situation with Minnesota playing behind Kirk Cousins could really be the perfect fit for him if you will maybe he's a guy that in two or three years can develop and be a solid quarterback. I don't think it's very likely, but he's in a good spot at least where he's not going to be forced to start and he can develop behind a real pro in Kirk Cousins and try to develop his game and maybe become a competent quarterback at the next level. When you look at the Vikings draft, Derisaw is a great pick for the Minnesota Vikings. He fills a hole for them at a really important position and is a really high-level player. I expect him to start day one and instantly improve that O-line for Minnesota. Nice job getting him in the first round. Kellen Mond in the third round is He's really worth the roll of the dice. He flashed some big-time talent at Texas A&M, but he never really put it all together. And maybe he develops and he can be the next guy at quarterback when Kirk Cousins moves on or when they move on from him. Or at the very least, maybe a decent backup. If you look at the rest of the draft for the Vikings, I really like the pick of Wyatt Davis, the guard from Ohio State. He's a physical mauler in the run game, one of the best guards in this draft. I thought he was a very underappreciated player in this draft process. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about him, but he's a big-time player. Really physical guy, really good in the run game. And I also like Cameron Bynum. The cornerback from Cal, he started 42 games in the Pac-12, has a ton of experience, and he could be a really good value pick in the fourth. Very nice draft by the Vikings. Not quite an elite draft, but a very good draft and a B-plus for them as well. So the final team to grade here in the NFC North is the Green Bay Packers. In the first round with the 29th pick, they took Eric Stokes, the cornerback from Georgia. He's six foot one, 194 pounds. He's got really nice speed and quickness. He can stay with wide receivers at the next level. I think that that is something that will translate. He's got really twitchy reaction speed. He can play outside or the inside nickel position. I like the versatility that he brings to the cornerback position. He's got nice recovery speed. He can get back into a play after losing ground to a wide receiver. He's got below average strength. 
That's something he's going to have to work on at the next level. He's really weak in run support. Most of the time, he just gets ran over or misses the ball carrier completely. He doesn't read or anticipate at a high level. That's a big red flag. There's times where he just gets really out of position, and he's not quite sure what he sees out there. Now, he's an ideal size for an NFL cornerback. At 6'1", 194, he's got a great frame and build for what you're looking for in an outside cornerback. And he can play zone or man-to-man. I like the versatility as well, but he gets grabby when he gets out of position. He's going to have to work on that as well because he's going to draw some serious pass interference penalties if he does that at the next level. I'm just really not a fan of this pick for the Packers. I didn't see, hear, read, or talk to any draft analyst that had a first round grade on Eric Stokes. Not one. This was a big reach, especially when you had better cornerbacks available on the board. Not a fan of the Eric Stokes pick. I think he's a decent player. I just did not see a first round cornerback in this guy. In the second round with pick number 62, the Packers took Josh Myers, the center out of Ohio State. He's six foot five. 312 pounds, a big bodied center with nice mobility. He's got good, not great quickness. I think he's adequate as far as that goes. He does a nice job with double team blocks. He reads defenses and he made all the line calls up front for Ohio State. So he's an intelligent player and a good leader at center. He's a solid run blocker, not great, but just a very good run blocker. And he plays with a nice wide base. He's got nice balance, but he's not really athletic enough to get to outside blocks. Most analysts had a third or fourth round grade on Josh Myers. So this was a pretty big reach in the second round. And it's because he's got a slow reaction time to counter pass rushers. He can struggle with guys who are quicker. He allows D Lyman to really get into his pads way too often. Josh Myers has mid-round talent, not second round talent. And with Creed Humphrey still on the board, this was a really head-scratching pick by the Packers. I think Creed Humphrey is clearly the better player and the better prospect at the same position, so I just was not a fan of this pick at all. Taking a cornerback and center with their first two picks makes sense. I just didn't like either player where Green Bay selected them. I felt like the Packers reached on players throughout this entire draft. The only pick that I'm a big fan of is third rounder Amari Rodgers, the wide receiver out of Clemson. Rodgers can make plays at all three levels. He gives this wide receiver group a much needed boost. Devontae Adams had 82 more catches than any other Packer player. So getting Rodgers made a lot of sense. Like that pick, and I think he's a really good value in the third round. He should be a big play threat right away for Green Bay. All in all, this was one of the worst drafts in the NFL. I'm giving them a D plus grade. It would be a D minus if it wasn't for the Omari Rogers pick. Other than that, there really wasn't anything that I got excited for in this draft by the Green Bay Packers. And for the second year in a row, they have really missed in the draft. All right, well, that is going to do it for the NFC North draft grades. Hope you guys enjoyed it, PGF Nation, and it's going to be a wrap on the draft grade episodes. But don't go anywhere. I've got a special guest coming up right now. Excited to be joined by Jack Borowski, who's the co-host of Inside the NFL Prospects podcast, an assistant scouting director and writer for Sports Illustrated and the NFL Draft Bible. Jack, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no, appreciate you having me on, Brad. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, definitely excited. We're kind of putting a bow here on the NFL draft for 2021. You're going to be the last guest here breaking it down with us. So I'm excited to get your take on what happened in April here and and what you made of this draft. And I want to start with Mac Jones. There's been reports that Mac Jones has looked really poised and really sharp at practice for the Patriots. And rumors are coming out that maybe he could even push for the starting job in New England. This is a guy that I wasn't super high on. There's a wide range of opinions about him as far as being a prospect. But I want to get yours. What do you make of Mac Jones as a prospect? And do you think that he starts year one? 
Good, good start, Wade. I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan, so after losing Tom Brady, that then you get Cam Newton in, who first few weeks of uh, last season looked awesome. Uh, that Seattle game, I remember that vividly, thinking, all right, Bill Belichick, uh, you know, no more Brady, but I think he may have helped Cam resurrect his career. That was totally false. Um, Cam, I, I think obviously the supporting cast wasn't great for him last year, but he, he didn't look very good. So so then you, you go into this year's draft, and it felt like, all right, they're going to have to trade up to, to go get their guy, whoever it is, because no quarterback. There's five really good ones, even if people weren't as big a fan of Mac Jones. When, when you look up, he was, I think, finished second in the Heisman voting, took a team to a, a national championship and won it. So th- there was a lot there with the five. They s- stood pat at, at, at foot 15th, and, and they got Jones. And I was I the biggest fan of him? No. Do I think that he's an NFL starting quarterback? Yeah. And, and what I think separates him fr- from the other four guys is how I, he was facing the best of the best competition in college, was really poised. Uh, I think his leadership skills are there. Mentally, he, he's going to be able to translate really early on. And as I touched on, Cam was really bad last year. And, and to, to get a little bit of a spark, a, a guy who can run the offense, um, I, I think that Mac Jones, is, I wouldn't be shocked if he's a starter year one. I wouldn't be shocked if he was starter game one. I, I think Belichick, well, one thing that he's different with than, than a lot of other coaches is he's going to put whoever the best player is out on the field. Well, we, we've seen a lot of times where he's taking guys in the first or second round and they never play a snap or they play like 10 snaps in their career for him. He doesn't care if you if he messes on you in the draft and or free agency, he's not going to sit there and play you just because he paid you or, or he selected you high. So I, I think obviously everything we're hearing out of camp is that Jones looks good. Uh, I think the clips we had seen Jones looked better than uh, Cam out there. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked, uh, as you alluded to, if Max is a starter, just because he, he brings a lot to the table. Do I think he has the upside of any of the other four quarterbacks? No. But I, I think we're looking at a, a, a similar, if not better, career uh, than Daniel Jones. I, I think uh, that, that's a comp. Um, he's not as good of a runner, but I would say he's a little better of a passer. And that I think upside here is top 15 quarterback with Josh McDaniels, and that's better than Cam. Um, he, he won't be there year one, but I, I didn't think Cam was a top 25 uh, quarterback last year. So, yeah, I, I think that Mac Jones is a guy who he was the fifth one drafted but could, could be a, a day one starter before the rest of them. Yeah, the two things that come to mind when I think of Mac Jones, one you kind of touched on was I thought New England not having to trade up to get a quarterback was fantastic. So even if he doesn't work out, it's not like they packaged a bunch of picks to go after him. So it's a really uh, low-risk, high-reward situation for them. And I agree with you on Cam Newton. He really The wheels really came off last year. And I think there's a decent chance that maybe his experience in the offense and with the team, maybe he starts week one, but I think he's going to be on a short leash. And I don't think that if they come out the gates and it's a one and three start or they're two and five, I don't think it's going to take long for Belichick to see what he has in the young kids. So it's definitely a fascinating storyline there in New England. But I want to shift to another AFC East team and another rookie who's really getting a lot of hype right now in the media. It seems to be building for him is Jets wide receiver Elijah Moore from Old Miss. What do you like or dislike about his game, and what are you expecting from him year one? Uh, he was one of my favorite wide receivers before the season. And Brad, when I looked at this receiver class, uh, the three guys at the top, I think we're on a different level. We talked about the 2020 draft being historic with Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb. We had three wide receivers this year go ahead of all of them. Hey, you look at all three, they're fantastic. But I was saying before the draft, this Elijah Moore kid, there's a chance that he ends up better than at least one of them because what I saw on film was a phenomenal route runner, explosion, speed. The way he tested showed the player that, that we saw at Ole Miss this past season where he basically carried that offense against some really good opponents. Crazy 40-yard dash as well as three-cone. He gets open. I'm shocked that he did not go in the first round. 
I, I thought Bateman, he was way better than Bateman. I thought he was way better than Kadarius Tony. I thought he was firmly with the other three top wideouts. Uh, and, and then there was a drop-off after him. He ended up falling to the second round. The Jets got a steal um, in, in Elijah Moore. What do I see is I think he's going to be that top wide receiver for Zach Wilson. Uh, it's going to be a transition for, for Wilson, different than Mac Jones. He was going up against, I think the best opponent really he faced was Coastal Carolina, maybe Houston. Two teams that are, are only going to send a couple guys to the NFL. Um, and, and then you have a guy like Mac Jones in the same division who's going up against Ohio State and Notre Dame and Florida every week. So Zach's going to – it's going to be a transition. What's going to really help him is having a receiver in Elijah Moore. I think he fits LaFleur's system. I think he can do a lot after the catch, is what, which is what those West Coast offenses from that Shanahan tree love. So, I mean, everything from campus, he's a stud, and I, I saw that on film. I wish the Giants or Ravens selected him, or really, I, I think that he was deserving of easily being a top 20 pick, uh, maybe being an Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, and the team wasn't great, hurt him a little bit, but I, I feel like he's the Justin Jefferson uh, of this year's draft. Justin helped Kirk Cousins a lot last year. I, I still think this Jets offense, you know, you add Corey Davis, you ha- have Denzel Mims, uh, Keelan Cole. I, I like their running back they drafted Michael Carter in the fourth round. I, I think that he's really good. I think both of them are going to be starters early on. So I think Elijah Moore, if we're looking in terms of production, it's it's tough for me to say that he's going to be the top guy because like, I really think a, a guy like Devonta Smith or, or Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, it's kind of hard to, to bet against them. But if we're looking at this Jets team a year from now, I, th- I think we're saying, all right, the, the kid who's the best player on the team is going to be Elijah Moore for years to come. Yeah, I'm pretty high on Elijah Moore as well in the, the Jets draft as a whole. I thought they had an outstanding draft, and he was a great value pick for sure in the second round. And you took the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking Justin Jefferson. That was exactly what came to mind with with him as you know, being a later wide receiver taken. He wasn't considered in that top tier, but then he stood out as the best in this class. And I think Elijah Moore is definitely a candidate to be that Justin Jefferson guy, certainly this upcoming season. So it'll be exciting to see what he does. I want to shift to another wide receiver here, though. As we know, this was a deep wide receiver class, and the Texans were a team that desperately needed help at wide receiver, and they traded up to get Nico Collins, the wide receiver from Michigan, a big wide receiver with big-time speed for a guy his size with a 4-4-40 time. What do you see from Collins year one? it's tough for me to say different than Elijah Moore uh, Zach Wilson I think there's going to be a transition to the next level but I think he's an NFL quarterback with an NFL arm I don't know what to make of the Texans offensive situation you look at their offense and it's hard to think of names who scare you at all and with a quarterback I'm assuming Tyron ends up starting maybe I would assume Davis Mills doesn't but, you know, you have very little draft capital in, in this year's draft. You signed a ton of free agents, none of which I think are super impactful players. And then your first pick in the third round, you take a developmental quarterback who, thinking about who, where the Texans are at now, they'll probably be selecting a quarterback in the first round next year. But they still took a quarterback this year, which means that, I mean, obviously they're not sold on Tyrod Taylor being a, a, a legitimate long-term answer. And in the short term, I don't think he adds much value to, to the roster. I don't think he can do much. This offense it just has been a blip. Like the, it's hard to even describe in words how bad this offense is. So in terms of Nico Collins, I think there's going to be some splash plays. Uh, Tyrod is going to be feeding him. I think they're going to try and feed Nico Collins. Rumblings that I heard out of Michigan camp before he opted out was he was looking like a first-round talent. Granted, we saw Michigan's defense last year was not very good. So going up against those guys in practice is different. Thought he played well at the Senior Bowl. I mean, he still hasn't played football in, in, in over a year, so that's going to be uh, an adjustment. But to me, I think, uh, as you, you touched on there, w- with what Nico brings to the table, he's a size-speed guy, can make contested catches, was I the biggest fan of him coming out? No. I like the upside. I like the draft pick in the third round. I thought that was good value. I just, in terms of what he's going to do year one, I think it's tough to pinpoint um, something because 
I really just think that offense is going to hold him back until they can get a quarterback, uh, a couple more offensive linemen, and really much around him. Um, yeah, but I, I think that their receiving core is solid enough, but uh, I, I don't see too much out of, out of Collins early on just with opting out the team around him. They're just just the, the environment um, and, and what has taken place in terms of context. I, I don't see this being much of a year one. I think by year three, we're going to see maybe it could be like a DJ chart where DJ, uh, really great athlete, Early on, it was a struggle. Obviously, Jacksonville didn't have much. Take a little, took a little bit longer to develop, and now he looks like he's a, a legit wide receiver two, fringe wide receiver one kind of talent. So that's kind of a, a, a comp that, that I can think of in terms of an NFL projection early on. I think that's a really great comparison. I, I like that comparison a lot. And I'm with you when you look at the Texans. It's amazing how quickly this team went from a respected playoff level team to a total dumpster fire. It seems like overnight this franchise has completely fallen to pieces. And you're right, there's not much uh, help around him. But there does seem to be a lot of buzz about him in camp right now. So I wanted to get your take on him. And that's definitely, I like I said, I love that comparison as well. I wanted to jump back and take a broader scope here, look at the quarterbacks. We talked about Mac Jones, and a lot has been made of this year's quarterback class with five selected in the first round. What do you think of this year's class of quarterbacks? Who do you think is going to be great, and who's going to be a bust? I think Lawrence is a safe bet that he's going to be really good because it's kind of tough to bet against a guy who's 6'6", runs really well. I think we saw that a lot in college, especially in in that playoff game against Ohio State, that he can beat you with his legs, which is scary. A little bit of a transition. Uh, I, I keep using that word, but that's that, that's huge with, with these young quarterbacks, is how do they get to that next level if they're surrounding cast? Because when you're picking one, three, five, wherever it may be, it means that the team around you isn't going to be great. So, so how do you adjust to that? I think it's going to be a little bit uh, of an adjustment, but the measurables, the tools... The maturity, uh, he, he, he has it all. Um, it's, it's hard to bet against him. At worst, I think he's the safest quarterback prospect we have ever seen since Andrew Luck. You may prefer someone else's upside or just floor, but I just it's hard to bet against the guy being good. What he, he didn't lose like a regular season game in his collegiate career. Zach Wilson at two. If this was the old regime with Adam Gaze at off, uh, at the at head coach, I would say, well, well, good luck with that. It's probably not going to work out. But Joe Douglas has done a fantastic job drafting so far. Uh, he's reshaped that offensive line. He's putting a decent enough receiving core around him. I love the Michael Carter pick um, a, a, as well. They still need improvements defensively, but this is uh, an improving roster. So I, I think with Zach Wilson... I I'm very I was I've been very skeptical for a while just because when I put on his 2019 tape, uh, this was going into the 2020 season, and I was watching all the quarterbacks, and he's a guy who was didn't have good production. I think he threw like nine touchdowns, eleven interceptions, but uh, I heard some buzz about him over the summer, so I decided to take a look. And I, I watched some games. I'm like, wow, this BYU quarterback, he's got some juice to him. And then I turned on games like San Diego State, and he was making bad decisions. He was inaccurate with the football, and it just looked like a mess out there. And you know, and he struggled against better teams. Granted, his his personnel around him wasn't all that great, but he didn't look that good. And then this year, he looked like a totally different player. But if you look at their schedule, they weren't playing any NFL caliber defensive backs, really pass rushers. I know Peyton Turner is probably the best one, but he's still a developmental guy. And you put a BYU team around him that was better than anyone he faced. The best team he played all year, he lost the Ensign Coastal Carolina. The tools are obviously, uh, they're unbelievable. What he could do with a football, it's it's hard to replicate. Accurate downfield, great outside of structure. I, I just you just worry about these other ancillary things. Um, hopefully the Jets can put a good enough team around him because you put a good enough team around most quarterbacks and they can have some kind of, uh, of success if they're mature enough off the field. So uh, is, is he my favorite? Well, no, uh, probably a, a guy that I'm still 
like a, take it with a little caution, but uh, I, I still think that the tools are all there and the regime is right for him to have a lot of success. Third was Lance. Uh, I don't, I don't think it really matters to how good he is because he's got Kyle Shanahan and we've seen what Kyle Shanahan can do with literally anyone at quarterback. He can make them good. He can take a Matt Ryan, who's a good quarterback, turn him into an MVP. He can take a Jimmy Garoppolo, and, and granted, they had talent around him, but they still made the Super Bowl with that offense and Jimmy G throwing 100 yards a game. And it almost beat the, the Chiefs. So uh, I think that you, you get a guy with the tools like Trey Lance. If you told me two years ago that the, a North Dakota State quarterback who – Minnesota, his home state, wouldn't even offer him a scholarship unless he moved to tight end, would be selected before the number two recruit in the country, Justin Fields. I would have said you're out of your mind. Uh, but uh, Lance has has the best arm in, in terms of velocity, arm strength. Distributing the football still isn't great. He's not overly accurate. But what I like about Lance is that he comes from a North Dakota State offense that, that forced him to, to play like an NFL quarterback in college. Call his own protections, uh, reads, progressions, a lot of studying film because he was doing a lot at quarterback. It wasn't signs up on the sideline or three different versions of uh, like one play and making it really easy for these college quarterbacks. He had a little more difficult. The negatives? He has played very little football in his career. I think it was he threw, has thrown 319 snaps, something like that. It's, that's worrisome, especially coming from the FCS level, and he was so young. He played in one game in 2020 against Central Arkansas, who's a quality FCS opponent, and they sent only one guy to the NFL, and the other 10 won't, won't be playing in the league. And he looked really bad. Um, he did not play well. He's great in shorts and a t-shirt. I just I worry about the accuracy um, as, at his age to then come out. But Kyle Shanahan can fix all those problems. I trust Kyle Shanahan as a developer of a quarterback. He makes things very easy. Lance is phenomenal uh, on the move. He's a great runner. Shanahan really hasn't had that yet. So we'll see what he can do with a, a quarterback who can rush. For, for a lot of yards and, and is a big guy. If it clicks, he'll be the best one. Uh, it's just, there's a reason that he went three and not one. There's, there's a lot of things there that, you know, the natural tools suck you in. But you, when you look at, at the bigger picture, a lot of quarterbacks like Trey Lance have not succeeded. Kyle Shanahan could make it where he does. Justin Fields, uh, I, I, I like him. I think he could be a solid quarterback in the NFL. Much different than Dwayne Haskins coming from Ohio State. Both big guys. Fields, really good runner. Uh, I, this season, a little bit worrisome at times in, in certain games. It felt like the better teams early on he was struggling with. It got to the point where the Northwestern game, it was like, ah, we, we don't know about what he's going to be, be able to do when they go and face Clemson. And then he went out against Clemson. And he had a fantastic game. He got hurt. He came back in. I, I think all the other things are there different than Trey Lance, where Ohio State, big high school pedigree, high, big-time recruit, won the Elite 11, comes to Ohio State, makes it to the college football playoff in his first year, almost wins against Clemson, and then the second year beats Clemson. So he's a winner. He's big. He's athletic. He's got a solid arm. I just worry about uh, just, all right, it, it, it almost seems like you got to shake him at times. Like you have all these tools. You, you're not seeing these wide open players. You're, you're a little hesitant. You're, you're not the most, he's not pinpoint accurate. Uh, I thought that was the biggest difference because him and Herbert to me are similar prospects, but Herbert can pinpoint a ball. He can throw it right where it needs to be. Uh, Fields is more of a general accuracy guy. But what he does with his legs is going to really help him out. The Bears need a starting quarterback. I, I think he's a guy who can, can have a decent amount of success. And, and, and when he gets on that field, I think his presence is going to be a, a, a lot different than, than some of these other young quarterbacks. Oh, I, I think he could be successful in a quarterback who, who has a, a long career. 
I don't know why he fell as far as he did. Uh, there could be other things that, there that, that I don't know about because to me, any other year, he may have been worthy of being the first overall pick. So, so there's, a, there's other things that why a BYU quarterback and why a North Dakota State quarterback, when the NFL values the level of competition in the school you're at, um, I, I think that that was pretty surprising. But, but to me, what I saw in Phil, and, and just from a character standpoint, he looks like a guy who, who's going to have a lot of success. Kudos to the Bears uh, for trading up for him. Then Mac Jones, uh, we've talked about him. I think he can be a mid-level quarterback at best. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think you hit the quarterback evaluations out of the park. I'm totally with you on just about all these guys. And when you look at that first group of quarterbacks, for me, it's a very intriguing quarterback class. I've talked about it on this podcast because all these guys have a ton of potential. They all have things that you can look at and say, I love that. I love that. But they all have a red flag. And outside of Trevor Lawrence, every one of them has some kind of red flag. And actually with Trevor Lawrence, his red flag might just be Urban Meyer. I, I don't really buy into Urban Meyer as a head coach in the NFL. I know there's a lot of people excited about it, but I'll have to see it to believe it. So as far as the physical tools, he, che he checks all the boxes. But yeah, that might be just being in a dysfunctional franchise with a rookie head coach with no experience. I think that's probably the biggest red flag for him. But the rest of the quarterbacks, like I said, they all flash talent. They all can do special things, but but they all have uh, red flags as well. So it's just a very intriguing quarterback class for me. But I wanted to shift gears here. The first seven picks of this draft being offensive players and then 12 of the first 15 as well. Was this defensive class underrated or was it just not as good as other years? It just wasn't as good as other years, in my opinion, and it wasn't as good at more important positions. Defensive end and defensive tackle. Those guys, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, Chase Young, guys like that, they're the ones who go high. And when you looked at this edge rusher class, the best guy, Jalen Phillips, has an injury history that I have no idea why he went as high as 18. The Miami Dolphins had their doctor like their medical uh, staff has to be very nervous because he was forced to medically retire at UCLA before transferring to my the University of Miami. So there, there, like there's uh, some issues there. Jason Oway, other edge rusher, freak athlete, no production, zero sacks this past year. Greg Rousseau opted out. So you have all these edge rushers who got some hype around them, and then they just they didn't have those traits or they didn't have the production or didn't have the lack of concerns that would warrant being a top 10 pick. Cause when, when you look at the NFL and the draft, it's driven by quarterback, left tackle, defensive end, uh, maybe defensive tackle. And then cornerback, I think is a position that's starting to grow in popularity with these NFL teams highly, which is why JC Horn and Pat Sertain were both top 10 picks. And I think we've seen, Basically, five cornerbacks are going to go in the first every year, maybe even six because of the need. But yeah, it just wasn't as good of a defensive class. Really good linebacker group, but that's like saying really good at running back. It just doesn't hold that same weight. And I think the receiver class was awesome. Three wide receivers. And then you had Kyle Pitts, who threw a, 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 an aspect that we don't ever really see in the draft of a, a tight end going top five. So I, I think the receiver slash tight end group was really good. Running back, you had Etienne and Najee, who are both first-round talents. And, and then you had five quarterbacks worthy of being first-round draft picks. So I think part of it was really good offensive class, and also part of it was not one defensive end was worthy of being a top-ten pick. Not one defensive tackle was worthy of being a first-round pick. Yeah, there were some really good linebackers, but... A linebacker, and, and and then safety class was solid, but that doesn't matter. I think we saw it. it was a good cornerback class. We we saw a lot of them go in the first round, and even Tyson Campbell went thirty three. So you you had Stokes and Farley and Newsom, and then the two at the top. So you had five first rounders, and then the first pick of the second round was a cornerback. So good cornerback class. The rest of the groups were really bad. Like I just nothing that really stood out. Even linebacker. Like Micah Parsons wasn't on the level of Devin White, 
um, as a prospect. And, and I think that, you know, Zayvon Collins and Jamin Davis reflected that it still was a good linebacker class as well. So, so I think as a whole, what we saw was cornerback was the best group defensively, then linebacker. And then the other three being defensive tackle, defensive and safety really were just lacking in, in, in overall first round legitimate talents, which, which is why those offensive guys went early and, and, and they kept going. So you have already been covering next year's draft. You've been putting out a lot of great stuff. And since we're putting a bow on the 21 class, I want to take a sneak peek at next year. Who are a couple guys that you're really excited for next April? Uh, you have Kayvon Thibodeau, who is this year's Chase Young. He is a pass rusher out of Oregon. Really good, 6'4", 250, bend around the edge. Great run defender as well. So uh, I, I think he's that top guy. Then you have other edge defenders, George Karlaftis from Purdue, Drake Jackson from USC. There's two players at US uh, at Ohio State who are good as well. So it's a really good defensive end class. DeMarvin Leal, um, defensive end, who's going to be moving to defensive tackle at the next level from Texas A&M. He's also a top 10 pick. So I think we're going to get some really good uh, defensive line for next year's draft that that is much needed uh and, and then offensively uh, sticking with quarterbacks uh, i think this this past year well i i really thought that you know if you needed a quarterback you should have gone up and drafted justin fields because next year's draft you have spencer rattler who's the best quarterback and worthy of being the first overall pick but do i think there's much difference between him and justin fields as a prospect no so I think Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma is the top guy. Sam Howell from UNC gets some love. He's talented as well. More of a lesser Baker Mayfield, in my opinion, in terms of just a shorter, stockier player, um, accurate with the football. Carson Strong from Nevada is my wild card. Um, we've seen Josh Allen and Jordan Love go in the first round from Mountain West schools. I think Strong from Nevada is up there with them as a player who could be a first-round pick and even a high one in a weak year. But overall, when you look at next year's class, the the best positions, it's going to be a down year at wide receiver, not as great at tight end or on the offensive line, but defensively, safety position. You have Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, who college football fans know all about. He's the next Sean Taylor, Ed Reed. He's the best player at that safety position, he's got a chance to be a generational talent. And then defensive end and defensive tackle are better, which which isn't hard to be, and linebacker is pretty solid as well. So it's, it's going to be a good group. I, I think the super seniors um, are also going to contribute and help make it a lot deeper of a draft class where, where some of those surprise fifth, sixth, seventh round picks are, are, don't go um, if they were in the 2022 draft. But it, it should be should be a fun year. I know we're... Oh, basically like 300-something days out, but uh, never too early to, to look ahead. It's certainly not, and it's also been a lot of fun having you on the show, Jack. Once again, Jack Borowski of the Inside the NFL Prospects podcast, and he's also with Sports Illustrated and NFL Draft Bible. Be sure to go check out his work. He's got some great stuff. Thanks, Jack. Really appreciate it. Great stuff, and thank you for coming on the show. Of course, yeah, and most definitely. Thanks for having me on, Brad. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.